0: Hello Cross Connection. Uh, Good morning if you're watching this in the morning when it first comes out. If not, uh, glad to be with you. Uh, Pastor Miles has asked that I would stand in for him and we're going to continue our series in Deuteronomy. We're going to be looking into Deuteronomy chapter 25 and I have been so blessed to listen to our pastor teach through Deuteronomy. Uh, Yes, even the difficult and uncomfortable sections and uh, just what a blessing it has been to look at God's law and how it was administered to his people and it just makes me so thankful that way, A, we're not under the law, but it makes me so thankful that God had a plan for us and as we uh, weave through the law, we're able to see these little hints of Jesus and the plan of salvation and so uh, great to be in that series right now. Also, it's uh, been Pastor Appreciation Month, and I will say to our congregation, thank you so much for the cards and the letters. Um, some of those have just meant so much to me, and some of those, you know, I see where we've recounted things and things I've walked through with you uh, or your family, and, and I some of them even slipped my mind Uh and how you're just so thankful for those things so this is a congregation that is a blessing to pastor and I'm very thankful for this congregation so thank you so much. Um, I know one of the things as we've been marching through uh, from the reopening and just kind of marching through uh, what's going on in the world is I'm taking more of a look at this as from Moses's point of view too, uh, the book of Deuteronomy and the leadership challenges uh, that go along with Just guiding God's people, or your family, or your employees, and so uh, I've been very, very blessed to go through this. So um, one of the things that strikes us, and and you almost get in the habit where it seems like you're making excuses for these odd, crazy-sounding laws that are just so foreign to us um, as we go through those, and then just seeing how some of those were, were very important, and some of them were just still really just shaking our heads, wondering what those. Uh, are all about and I think it's kind of funny as if we think that these laws in Deuteronomy are crazy I have a few laws I'd like to read to you here from our great state in California and I wondered what Moses would think if I was sitting across the table from him uh, and sharing these laws with him and so um, in the city of El Monte uh, sandboxes may not be used as ashtrays evidently that's very important Um, In Fresno, uh, no one may annoy a lizard in a city park. It's a very serious thing, evidently. Uh, It is also illegal to injure or disturb a rock in Fresno's city park. Uh, In Los Angeles, it is illegal to cry on the witness stand. Hmm, Uh, you may not hunt moths under a street lamp. Uh, In Los Angeles, bathing two babies in the same tub at the same time is prohibited. Uh, It is a misdemeanor to shoot any kind of game from a moving vehicle unless the target is a whale. Uh, It is a crime for dogs to mate within 500 yards of a church. Oh, we're so thankful for that. And let's see, we go down to, let's see, Chino. Or Chico, rather. Um, You are prohibited from owning a smelly animal hide. Uh, Detonating a nuclear device within Chico city limits results in a $500 fine, so don't do that, you'll be quite a bit poor. And um, the one that I really, really like is in Barstow, that you're not allowed to wear cowboy boots unless you own at least two head of cattle. And so I'm wondering what Moses would think of those uh, laws that we have today and evidently uh, those laws in California from uh, my research it is harder to get a law off the books in California than it is to get a law on the books in California and so that's probably why there's some of those extraneous laws. the reason for these laws in Deuteronomy as we look and I think they fall into a few different categories in fact some of your Bibles will say miscellaneous laws and I don't know about your house but just about every house I've ever been in has something called a miscellaneous drawer and when you pull out the miscellaneous drawer there's items in there that you're sure you're going to need maybe it's that lens cap for that camera or some half used batteries or Uh, a pocket knife or a screw for something but they're all things you're pretty sure you're going to need but you just don't use that often but you don't want to throw them out because there's a really good there's still a good chance that you might need them for something and then there's some laws there uh, which I believe are more like um, they've been inspired they inspired the memo so to speak that maybe you've had a been an office situation where somebody inspired the memo perhaps on a casual Friday they wore something a little bit too casual Um, and so some of these laws seem to be inspired by a memo there's probably a name connected or an incident connected to these laws and so uh, looking at those kinda brings a smile to my face Um, and so these laws are all being reviewed the background for these laws being reviewed uh, by Moses to his people is that they're on the outside of the great nation of Israel, they're gonna go in and and occupy. They're on the outside, they're on the border, and they're waiting to step into this blessing. And so these are some things that they have to establish for Israel to become a nation and to function. They're gonna need some of these rules, uh, some of this government, some of this organization. And so um, I think today, if you could leave with something, I want you to leave in your head and your heart that we're going to look at the heaviness of the law and the burden of the law, um, just how hard it is to keep that and weigh that against the joy of the new covenant that we have in Christ Jesus and the fact that he fulfilled the law and these laws are taken care of by him. And so, uh, as it is said, he did not come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill it and so I'm so thankful for that and so I think today will be a time in the word that'll be a time of uh, appreciation and humor but also a time of thankfulness so let's pray as we open up God's word dear father we thank you so much for uh, the fact that this is written down Lord and that we can be encouraged um, by your word and Lord and the history of your people and the valuable lessons there Lord and While we are removed from that time frame and that situation, there are still valuable principles that we can glean and we can see the foreshadowing of salvation in Jesus Christ. And so in our hearts this morning, uh, do this work, Lord, by your Holy Spirit as we open up your word. And it is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this morning we are, as I remind you, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 25. And so uh, let's read. If there was a dispute, between men and they come to court that the judges may judge them and they justify the righteous and condemn the wicked then it shall be if the wicked man deserves to be beaten that the judge will cause him to lie down and be beaten in his presence according to his guilt with a certain number of blows 40 blows he may give him and no more lest he should exceed this and beat him with many blows above these and your brother be humiliated in your sight Point number one on your outline, the administration of God's law justifies the righteous and condemns the wicked. Again, the administration of God's law justifies the righteous and condemns the wicked. As this people, is, they're sitting uh, outside of the land that they're going to inherit and they will need government, they'll need a system in place, even more than what they already have. And so they're reviewing uh, some of the rules and the regulations, the statutes, the judgments of the Lord. And so Moses is giving this to Gim as maybe as a refresher, so to speak, or perhaps something has come up he's having to deal with. And so without this, um, they would be like many of the peoples around them. It would be the Wild West. There would be a need for a system of law in place, one that was written down, uh, not so open to interpretation. And there would be need to be people to administer this law. Um, It is the very essence of, in beginnings of justice, uh, true, fair justice and law versus versus vigilanteism in the world, so to speak. And in this ancient world, uh, it was more of a survival of the fittest, is that who got the best shake in life, so to speak. Those were the best alliances, those that were the strongest, those that had the most power, so to speak, uh, and influence. Those are the people that got the fairest deal, so to speak. They were the ones who uh, everything kind of went their way because they had the, so much on their side. And so if you were a powerful uh, man or you had a powerful family and you had many alliances, uh, you had wealth in these ancient times, you would get a much better uh, shake or judgment, so to speak, in a situation than let's say a widow or an orphan. And so what Moses giving of these laws, what's it's going to do is it's going to even the playing field for all. It is going to look a lot more like the justice system that we try to even use today. And so much of our, our country and our justice system is rooted in some of these very beginning of these laws, very rudimentary aspects of these laws. Um, yet even today, we still have these challenges in our modern society that those of with alliances and wealth and power uh, Things are fair, but they seem to be a lot fairer for those of means. It can be at times, and so it's a very valuable lesson. So this had to be a standard. This had to take place in the land for them to succeed. Now, there's no jails. They're nomadic, and so there's no prison. This hadn't really been invented, uh, so to speak, for them. And so they had to take care of matters on this camping trip, this 40-year camping trip, so to speak. So there was no jails for them. And so the punishment was prescribed. There were a certain amount of lashes that were done. Uh, and I do think it's interesting as you do the research on this, uh, you could give up to 40, but they would really only give up to 39. And the reason being for that is just in case somebody had miscounted and so they would have stepped over the line or been too harsh. And so um, they were prescribed. It was, it was methodical. It was metered, so to speak. Uh, this punishment, it was supervised. Uh, This was not a mob mentality, Uh, this was done before a judge that supervised the giving of the lashes and so um, it would be done in accordance uh, with supervision uh, so that it did not go over the line, so that it was not too much. So it was supervised. Uh, It was quick rather than a prison term uh, They weren't looking at that. It was over, in a matter of minutes, it it was finished. Um, It was recorded. Now, uh, they didn't have a computer system. Uh, They did not have a, you know, a book. I'm sure they hauled around with everybody's, you know, prison record in there. But what they did have is all you needed to do to see if somebody was a repeat offender was look at their shirt. And they would see the lashes from previous crimes. And so, uh, it was recorded and it was paid. Uh, as near as I can tell, it was paid, it was done. That transgression, they were, they were even, and it was done, and it was paid in full at the administering of that punishment. If you notice, they use the word brother in there, and for him not to be humiliated. The punishment was not designed to humiliate. Um, these were to be Uh, done as to a brother. It was by the Hebrews, for the Hebrews. So by God's people, for God's people. It was exclusive to them, it appears. And so uh, it was for the people that were the nation of Israel. And the one thing you need to know, and we need to know about God's law, is that it is, there's always a foreshadowing, it seems, of Jesus coming to fulfill it. Uh, Turn with me please to the book of Isaiah chapter 53 and we're going to read in Isaiah chapter 43 this foreshadowing this um, prophetic message given by Isaiah um, about Jesus about the Christ about the Messiah so Isaiah 53 we see in verse 4 it says surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we esteemed him stricken Smitten by God and afflicted. but he was wounded for our transgressions. This is referenced in Romans also 4:25. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. that also is many times interpreted crushed. And by His stripes we are healed. Some of your Bible's interpretations by His lashes. We have a prophecy about the Messiah appearing in Isaiah matching up with this situation uh, that people knew of in Deuteronomy that the lashes um, were prescribed to our Savior, Um, it was supervised, Uh, it was being watched Um, and it was recorded Uh, we have this in our Bibles and it was final he paid the price for you and I, final, infinite, it's done, it is finished, Tell a story. it is paid. Um, in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, read along with me and I like that it reinforces the scripture in Isaiah, he reflects on this. So 1 Peter uh, chapter 2 verses 21 it says, For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripe we were healed. Jesus paid it all. And we see the foreshadowing of this, not just in Deuteronomy, but we see it in Isaiah and we see it in first Peter and we see it throughout uh, the old Testament that this would be how our sins one day as Gentiles would be forgiven. Now let's go down to verse four. It says, "You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain." Now, this is a, um, this is a, kind of a, a no-brainer, so to speak, that you wouldn't be cruel, that you wouldn't force an animal to look at the very food that he's producing and not be able to eat. And this has ramifications on uh, outside of just what Moses is uh, telling these people, revisiting the law, but. This is specifically talking about the ox and the principle of that. Uh, Point number two on your outline. God's promises and commands in the law are not necessarily promises and commands to you. We see this principle of not muzzling an ox uh, come up in 1 Corinthians 9 verses 8 through 11. And basically, and you can go back there and read, but basically the situation is is Paul is there and he is uh, preaching to the Corinthians. And the subject comes up about uh, pastors or people preaching or missionaries uh, being supported and and being paid. And what he brings up in the situation is that uh, he goes back to and quotes, actually, Deuteronomy 25, verse 4, And he looks at that as the principle of why you should support missionaries and pastors, uh, people coming to teach, why the Corinthian church should. But he also says that he's not taking advantage of that because uh, he wants his message to be loud and clear. And so he's working as he goes and he's talking about that. But he takes this Old Testament command, this Old Testament law, and He takes the principle from it. He extracts a principle from it, and he uses that to explain a situation. And the thing that we need to um, keep in mind is sometimes we want to take Old Testament promises or commands and act as though they're speaking directly to us. And the truth of the matter is they're made to a certain people group. And so they're made at a certain time for a certain Time in in, in in a certain situation, um, but Paul has no problem appropriating this to teach a principle, and that's a very healthy thing uh, to uh, understand and to know uh, to pay attention to. Now, I want you to take a look at this one of my favorite T-shirts here. Uh, it's favorite because I think I'm kind of snarky, but. Uh, If you read the the T-shirt, it says, yes, I can do all things through a verse misquoted or taken out of context. And so many times we can take these promises and these commands that are to Israel and they're not directly to us. And we can try to appropriate those to look like something to America or to our own personal lives. And they just simply are not. Um, We can definitely take the principles and apply, le- apply these when they're in context, uh, but we cannot take these promises and these commands as being to us because they were not made to us. And This is a, can be a challenge to explain sometimes because it's a, it's a point of error for many people. And the best I can explain it to you is like that. I was thinking of this the other day. If you imagine a a man and a woman get married and they're very excited and they go on their honeymoon and and they're on their honeymoon and they're at a beautiful resort. They're there for a couple days and um, they're having a great time. And it's just a beautiful situation. And uh, the new wife, the new bride goes to take a spa day for a morning. And so the groom is going to go and find something to do. And so he decides to go by the ocean and he finds metal detectors for rent and so he goes and he rents a metal detector because this is a place of history and he takes his metal detector and he spends an hour or so shoveling through the sand and he finds a valuable gold coin, an ancient gold coin and he's blessed by it. Now, as he pulls this gold coin out and he's looking at it, he has to realize something about this gold coin and the fact is is that That gold coin was minted, it was made to be used at a certain time frame by a certain people. Um, If he was to take this gold coin and he was to try to stick it in a machine to get a bag of potato chips or to uh, get a a, a soft drink out of a a vending machine, it wouldn't work because it wasn't made for that situation. Um, If he was to take it to... Uh, the convenience store next to the resort or try to pay for something at the resort with it it would not be legal tender they would not know how to use it why? because it was not made for that time period or our time period as a means of monetary exchange now is it valuable? absolutely does it have a great worth? absolutely but the worth in it uh, has to be derived by taking it and maybe exchanging it for something else. It is a, it is a worth that is in another place. It's value because of its history and for what it's made out of. It is no longer the legal tender for the situation that uh, this young groom finds himself in. Well, the story goes that the groom goes out every day for the next four days and he's digging and digging and digging for coins and he never finds another one. And the moral of the story is, is we can spend so much time uh, digging uh, for these coins and looking for this tender from an ancient time that we miss out on our honeymoon, so to speak. And so it's very important to have this um, in our heads and in our hearts that when we look into the Old Testament and we look into the law, it is of great value. It is fulfilled in Christ. But if we take these to be for today that it is somehow legal tender and that we have to follow these laws and these feasts and these regulations, we would be in error. The best thing that we could do though is to extract those principles because the principles that surround these laws are timeless and valuable and are of great worth. There's a danger in this and I don't mention this because it hasn't happened. Kind of like when we see Moses uh, mention these odd laws that we see He's not mentioning these because uh, it hasn't happened. He's never seen it happen. He's mentioning these because somebody's inspired the memo. And one of the dangers of falling into a Judaized relationship uh, with the Lord is when we start to put too much emphasis on keeping feasts, on um, you know blowing shofars, on uh, trying to uh, wear yarmulkes, all these things. When we try to become say, more Jewish in effect, thinking that somehow that's going to you know, deepen our relationship with Christ, those things can be a great distraction. I have no argument with learning about the feast and even attending one to just see uh, the earnestness and the symbolism of what goes into these feasts. But to make that part of who you are as a believer and how you see the Lord, I think you can quickly fall into a dangerous trap of uh, trying to Judaize your relationship uh, with Christ. And I don't say that you have to have a caution in this because I haven't seen it, because I have seen it. In Hebrews 15, we see an example where um, the believers are having to be cautioned because men are showing up and they're telling the church that they all need to be circumcised. They need to be more Jewish to be able to have a relationship with the Lord and to be able to have a deeper understanding of the Lord. And it simply isn't true. And they are corrected, they are chastised for spreading that because the people they're talking to are not Jews. And so. Uh, They were trying to turn the early church into Jews, which was never the command, never the point of why we were set free in Christ and given liberty uh, over the law. The law, if you start to, as a believer, you start to uh, follow the law and the traditions in a way and the promises, as though they were meant specifically to you, they can actually lead you away from that covenant relationship of the Lord, and you won't even know it. It can be a very dangerous thing. Um, turn with me to Second Chronicles, uh, chapter seven, and I'd like to read that with you. And look at this verse here, uh, that is a very valuable verse, uh, and how we can interpret that. So. Um, 2nd Chronicles chapter 7 verse 12 it says Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice when he did not say if when I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locust to devour the land or send pestilence among my people If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. I bring that up because how many times have I seen that scripture uh, put across a banner with the United States in the background or the Capitol building in the background and it is taken or it is put forth as though God is speaking directly to the United States of America. And he is not. He is speaking to Solomon after the completion of the temple. It is a great moment. And I'll tell you, Solomon is in his stock is so high at this point, finishing the temple. Uh, and he's there and the Lord appears to him and speaks to him. And so this is a historic Situation, it is a certain time and it is a certain promise and it is made to God's people. Was it made to the United States of America? It was not. Now, because this is valuable, because it is gold, because it is important, how can you and I uh, interpret this? How can we use this promise made to God's people? Well, as a principle. The truth of the matter is, I believe if the United States of America, and I look around us, we're very distracted people right now. And I think in many ways, very far from God. If we did repent, um, if we did humble ourselves, if we did pray, would God not react in a positive manner? I believe he would. Is it a promise that he is bound to because he made it to Israel? He is not. Our promises, again, our commandments are in Jesus Christ. And so, as when you see this scripture, when you take these promises uh, that God has made to Israel, we're looking at the principles of the promise. Um, We're not looking at the promise directly as it pertains to us. Very important as we're reading our Bible. I tell you, we've been doing a class here at Cross Connection on how to read your Bible and, and study your Bible. And over a course of, it'll be nine weeks total. Uh, what an eye-opener it's been for so many people to uh, learn how to parse the Greek and and to look at what the Bible says as opposed to what we want it to say. And so it is so important when you want to hear from the Lord to be able to see what it actually says and what it is actually telling us. Because the truth of the matter is the only promise and the command for the Christian uh, is this... Jesus. Jesus is the only is the only promise and the only command that we need. John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but will have everlasting life. There's our promise, our commandment. John 13:34, a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if you love one another. If you want to take that a little bit farther, you can go into Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen. Go there. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There is our promise and there is our command in Jesus Christ. Now, let's go to Back to Deuteronomy, chapter uh, 25, we're going to go to verse 5. If brothers dwell together, and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as a wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn son which she bears will succeed the name of his dead brother, that his name will not be blotted out of Israel. But if the man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go to the gate to the elders and say, my husband brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him. but if he, he stands firm and says I do not want to take her then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders remove his sandal from his foot spit in his face and answer and say so shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house and his name shall be called in, in Israel the house of him who had his sandal removed. Point number three in your outlines God's law puts a high value on lineage and inheritance. Now I Looking at this situation here, um, I guess it's safe to say that this would be a very strange uh, situation uh, in uh, 2022 America. Um, I lost many of you know I lost a brother here last December, and uh, it was heartbreaking. It was very hard. I can't imagine what the uh, my house would be like if my sister-in-law moved in with us, and uh, how that would change the dynamic in the house. And she's a great sister-in-law, um, but it would definitely change the dynamic in the house if that's what we were required to do as the brother of a of, of a of a brother who had perished. And so, how weird would that be? How how strange would that be? And again, I I. Th- Thank the Lord for the uh, new covenant. And I'm sure my sister-in-law does too. And she's really great. She was a professional pastry chef. And so if she moved in, I would weigh about 450 pounds. So we wouldn't want to do that. And so, But how weird that would be. But we have to know that God's law at this time, the nation of Israel, how they function, there was a very high value on lineage and inheritance. Um, there's one thing we have to understand At Judaism at um, this level, Uh, it is not evangelical. Think about that. Have you ever had anybody come to your door and want to talk to you about becoming a Jew? Uh, Have you ever heard of a great Jewish evangelist uh, filling stadiums and uh, trying to bring people into the knowledge of Judaism? It is just simply not a component. Why? Because Judaism, especially at this time, is an ethnocentric Um, relationships, an ethnocentric religion. Uh, You are born a Jew, you did not become a Jew. Uh, The increase of uh, God's people was not through evangelism even though some of the peoples they took uh, over, some of the places they took over at certain times definitely did come into the fold as part of the households, but it was not through evangelism but it was through lineage, it was through literally reproduction. having children, that's what was important and so a widow at this time would have no place for land or inheritance in Israel if she did not have this male child and so it was very important even enough to put the brother in a uncomfortable situation of having to be responsible for somebody else and there was a prescription or there were rules pertaining to this. Um, So. One of the things we have to remember about Judaism is, and the law is, it is exclusive. At this time, it did not look like there was a plan for you and I. In fact, when Jesus walked the earth, the common thought on Gentiles, uh, those who are not Jews, was that they were simply, by the Pharisees, believed that we were logs for the flames of hell. God had no plan for us. There was no thought for us. Um, and obviously we were not looking for uh, our redemption uh, through a messiah and through a savior and so that would come so it is not evangelical Judaism uh, it is exclusive um, our stature in that was very grim and it was very sad but we all that being said we are not Jews and we cannot become them uh, any more than uh, I'm Portuguese if you're not Portuguese, you cannot become Portuguese. You can't eat enough fish, you can't make enough wine, uh, you can't learn Portuguese, all those things, and it makes you Portuguese. It just will not happen. That's not how it works. And so that was the plan and that was the situation uh, at the time. Now, I grew up in a predominantly Jewish neighborhood. Uh, Most of my friends were Jewish, even through high school. Uh, many of my friends were from different countries and they were Jewish, which was a whole other aspect uh, of the Jewish relationship, so to speak. And recently I was done the honor of uh, attending one of my oldest friend's father's uh, funeral memorial. And I believe I was the only Gentile there. And uh, it was unique. I had never been to uh, a Jewish uh, funeral and uh, the families were gathered much like you would see at a memorial of, of what you and I would attend um, but uh, my friend's father was buried in a very simple pine box as his tradition uh, and so that it was not to look flashy or anything special It's part of Jewish tradition and then uh, I was invited to be part of a lineup of people where we would shovel dirt on the casket um, as um, I believe it is a symbol of, of closeness and respect but doing this uh, was considered an honor and that you were family and you were close and so I was deeply honored to be part of that and this old friend that I've had for gosh 40 years. But one thing I thought was interesting during the, um, the two rabbis were speaking and I, I listened to a lot of sermons so I'm always you know ready to listen to a, a rabbi's uh, speak and one of the things that the rabbis mentioned, um, over six times, I lost count after that, was the fact that um, my friend's father was uh, a good Jew, how he helped people, how he kept the law. Um, they even had a kosher kitchen. But the thing that they mentioned time and time again, is that his the, he married a Jewish wife, a Jewish woman, and that his kids married Jews, that they kept that law, that they kept that lineage, that they kept that inheritance. And that was repeated throughout the ceremony as a high standard and something of importance. And that's something that for us, we just probably don't grasp, uh, that it's a uniquely Jewish experience. And so, uh, the um, importance on Jews marrying other Jews and keeping that lineage, that, that Ethnic lineage alive uh, was repeated again and again and again, and not only in the uh, the sharing, but in the lives of the people that I saw there. That I many of them I grew up with, and so um, it was it was um, a revelation, so to speak, as uh, the importance of that. Now the good news in that, the new covenant, where Jesus, um, his high value, or the high value that Jesus has, is yes, he has a lineage. Uh, we trace back through, through David and all the way uh, through so many different characters, but his lineage of his being of the house of David and meeting that standard, uh, he is our inheritance. He is how we enter the kingdom. It is by relation with him. It is not by birth, so to speak. It is not by reproduction. It is by spiritual birth and it is by spiritual reproduction, being born again. If you'd like to see the most beautiful foreshadowing of the relationship that we have in Christ is in the book of Ruth. And you'll see the man named Boaz as he redeems, known as the kinsman redeemer. He redeems Um, the wife uh, of a dead relative and how it is uh, many believe it is an outline it is a foreshadowing of the relationship that you and I have with Jesus and the plan of salvation so in the book of Ruth I encourage you to read that so as we move along into uh, we're going to go down to verse 17 now I realize there's some things in there about um, Let's see, uh, men fighting together, the uh, seizing of genitals, uh, weights and measures and all those things. And I think those are fairly self-explanatory. And they had to have been an issue and had to have happened because, again, I think somebody, there's a name attached to these things and somebody inspired the memo. So we're not going to dwell on that very much. So we're going to, as our last and final point here, we're going to go into um, verse 17. And it says, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, so in the Exodus, how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear, when you were tired and you were weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore, it shall be when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies all around in the land which the Lord your God has giving you to possess as an inheritance, that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. Point four on your outline. God reminds his people, do not forget because they often did. We see in the history of Israel there is a cause and effect relationship. In fact, as part of the Deuteronomic agreement, uh, the covenant, uh, God sets a lot of, if you do this, I will do this. If you do bad, I will respond this way. And so there's a cause and effect relationship with the obedience uh, of God's people with him. And so he spells that out very clearly. And God knows that they would forget. He does not say, uh, if... He says when, uh, when we looked back into 2 Chronicles and the promise there to Solomon. He says when uh, these things come upon you. Now, Amalek is a, a people group and they were the archenemy of Israel. It seemed like they were always popping up and always a problem. They were kind of like the, uh, the Lex Luthor uh, for Superman. There was always a, a problem there, always an archenemy. Um, and so... Uh, always had it in for Israel, and so this nation. And so there comes a time in the book of Samuel that Israel's first real king, uh, Saul, uh, is given the instruction to go up and uh, go to the Amalekites and to wipe them out. Uh, Wipe every living thing that has to do with the Amalekites out. Take nothing for yourself, including the livestock. And so he goes in this battle, and uh, Israel is triumphant uh, in the battle uh, even against the odds and miraculously is triumphant and Saul forgets and the prophet Samuel comes up and he was supposed to wipe everybody out, right? and the prophet uh, Samuel comes up to them and asks if he did what God told them to do and uh, Saul says in the affirmative that he had and Saul, asked, excuse me. Samuel asked them, Why do I hear the bleating of sheep? And Saul not only had kept the sheep, but he had kept their king, Agag, alive. Uh, and Agag, uh, their king, was kept alive evidently for maybe a little longer. I don't know. I know eventually he was destroyed. But he must have kept somebody else there also because we see in the book of Esther much later And there is a decree that goes out in the book of Esther. And this decree goes out and a man named Haman Haman is uh, responsible for this, getting the king to issue a decree to basically wipe out all those of Jewish descent to create a holocaust. Um, And he issues this decree and it says of Haman that his lineage was that he was an Agagite. And so... Saul had forgotten, we'll say, and years later this Agagite surfaces and this hate by another people group raises its head and it is going to cause the destruction, once again, the threat of destruction of uh, Israel. A 14-year-old girl, most likely 14-year-old girl named Esther has to clean up the mess of the first king of Israel And it's a fantastic story, and we went through it here not too long at at Cross Connection. I suggest you read that story, but if there's ever a reminder to not forget, uh, one of the things that struck me the very first time I read through the Bible um, many years ago was in the book of Kings, that a king would rise to power in Israel and that he would forget Uh, to tear down what they call the high places, places of worship, places that God wanted torn down and abolished and ground and forgotten. And those high places, those situation, those places would always cause a situation uh, to cause God to um, withhold blessing from the king. Or sometimes these kings would directly stumble because of this. And it was never lost on me for us as Christians. uh, While Those high places don't exist, but the principle of high places in our lives. In 2022, as we wrap up here, I look at our own nation and so many of the foundational things that our nation uh, was built upon, things that were out of this book uh, both Old and New Testament uh, so many of those principles we have taken from the promise of God and the relationship and the grace of Christ some of those have been forgotten and so I will ask you as we part and as one of your pastors and it is a privilege to be one of your pastors our temptation is to to complain or to get political or this or that um, as you are watching this I want you to remember on November 8th there will be an election and you have the ability to pray for all these next days and I ask that you would pray every day for our nation uh, that we would remember that we should stop to forget stop forgetting rather um, and look at the many things that we have forgotten and to repent and while the promise uh, in Chronicles is not to us I do pray as a people that we would repent and that we would humble ourselves. And dear Lord, we pray that you would look upon us, that you would rescue us, and that you would bless us again. And it is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you all, and uh, see you next week.